I have entitled today's message, Do Not Be Afraid. And uh, the reason is, I think it's rather fitting for Halloween weekend that we call our sermon, Do Not Be Afraid. Uh, not sure about you, but I, I don't do movies or shows or anything with violence or horror. Okay? I'm, I'm just a wimp that way. I don't do haunted houses. I'm, I'm just too sensitive because, in fact, some of those suspenseful dramas, they're too much for me. I just, I've got enough drama in my life. I don't need to add any of that other stuff. I've been known to tear up on a good commercial before. So I, I don't like to be afraid. Okay? I just don't like that feeling, so I avoid it. And now, now just to be clear, I've got to like, defend my manhood, though. So if there is a noise in the house, house, I don't wake up Amanda and say, okay, you go take care of it. I call Jacob in the basement to go take care of it. No, I'm, I'm kidding. We, um, I might have a weapon or two to, to figure that out, I guess. But, but here's what I, um, here is what I do get freaked out sometimes, like, like probably the biggest fear. Uh, on more than one occasion, this has happened where I'm laying in bed and I am in deep sleep. We're talking REM. And for some reason, I wake up and as, as I open my eyes, this little girl is standing right by my bed, not saying anything. That will freak you out. Like, that will make a ma grown man scream. <laughs> Even if a little girl can bring fear to a grown man, uh, let, let's think about, well, what about Jesus? Is he scary? Sort of. You know, maybe for some, but, but here's a verse that we read at the end of today's text in John chapter 6 that we're going to look at. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. I love that phrase. It is I, do not be afraid. Uh, frankly, that's a good coffee cup verse, okay? That's where, you know, it is I, do not be afraid, Jesus. John wants us to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in His name. So today we're going to learn some more about who Jesus is, and we're going to see why, hear this carefully, we are not to be afraid in His presence. John chapter 6 verse 1 says this, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. So let me show you a map here. So I, I kind of tried to blow it in there a little bit, blow it up a little bit so you could see it a little bit more. But way down here is Jerusalem, down here, okay? But up here is Capernaum. Um, and then over here, I can't even see on my own. I don't have my reading glasses on me. Over here somewhere is Nazareth, I think. Um, but here's the Sea of Galilee, okay? The Jordan River comes down through here, comes, keeps going down here. And the Dead Sea is down at the bottom. But over here is where our story is going to take place on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And so Capernaum is going to play a role here. So the disciples are going to be in a boat coming up this way. But this is the story that we're going to look at where Jesus feeds the 5,000 over here in the foothills on the east side. So there's your geography lesson for the day. Keep going. Verse 2. And a large crowd was following him. So picture these folks are just following Jesus. Why? Because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. 
Now, that's not typically a terminology we would use, but John, of all the gospel writers, uses the term signs because all of them, it basically means miracles, but he's saying that the miracles that Jesus was doing, the healing and the, um, basically the healing over everything, uh, are a sign pointing to Jesus. So over and over again, John is saying there's a purpose behind the miracles. So Jesus went up in the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. We've kind of seen this picture before. This is how Jesus would teach. It's like, okay, it's time to do class, uh, disciples. Let's sit down and let's talk. I've got some things to teach you. Now, the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand, meaning it was on the horizon. It was coming up soon. Lifting up his eyes then... And seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus says to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Uh, today, if you wanted to look on a map, this is the, the mountain. There is probably what they would call today's the Golan Heights. If you maybe see that in the news, there's all kinds of stuff going on over there. But here's what I want you to see in this passage first. I'm going to give you six principles about Jesus today. Over and over again, we see this important truth. Oops, I missed that last verse, sorry. Um, I wasn't even showing you the verses, was I? I was like, my slides are messed up today, so let's keep going here. Hang on. I, I've forgotten how to use this. Here we go, right there. Jesus cares about meeting the needs of people. You know what? I think I gave you, this is that kind of morning. You have no fill in the blanks, do you? You're not even going to pay attention, are you now? So... Just circle a word or something. You pick which word you think I would have <laughs> I would have done. So, in fact, I even I think I forgot the reference at the top. You <laughs> it's John six one to twenty one. Okay, you you feel it says John. So we got the right book at least. So it is one of those kinds of weekends for sure. Okay, Jesus cares about meeting the needs of people, folks. Jesus loves people. He he cares about physical needs. Hunger, sickness, disease. He cares about spiritual needs. He cares about relational needs. He cares about emotional needs. He cares about financial needs. And this means two things for us. Think about this for a moment. One is he cares about our needs. Jesus cares about your needs. You might need to hear that today. In fact, I'm going to say it again. Jesus cares about your needs. God's word is saying to you, Jesus wants to meet your needs because he loves you. But here's a second piece of that, is that we should also be like Jesus and care about the needs of others. How does Paul say it? In fact, he says it in lots of different ways, but what came to my mind is when he says you should look on the interests of others more than, than your own interests. Put the other interests of others first, which is not our, our society today is me, 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 me. Remember in Matthew when Jesus, in Matthew 9, he looked upon the crowds, on the, uh, all the, uh, the crowds out there, and it said he had what? Compassion. He has this, it, and it's that deep, like, man, his heart is broken for the needs of the people. And so as pictured, Jesus is on the, the side of the mountain teaching his disciples, and he sees all the crowd out there, and he's like, how are we going to feed them? Like that, that's where his mind went. He's not, even, he's not worried about teaching his disciples at that moment. He's like, how are we going to feed them? What, what, are these, um, uh, 
when he, he does that, which is opposite of what folks do today. And I, I wonder how much we're, we fit into this, where when we see people, nowadays it's, are they my people or not? Like, like are we on the same team or not? Are, are, is, are we in the same political party or do they hold my values? Are we in the same socioeconomics class? Or maybe are they, are they a Buckeye fan or not? So on uh, what day was it? Wednesday, it was like um, 8 o'clock at night. I'm boarding a plane from Orlando to, to Cleveland. Uh, and uh, I walk in, and the pilot, without saying a word, goes like this. Me? Okay. He takes me into the cockpit. And I'm like, okay, this is strange. I don't think I'm allowed in here, but okay. So he leans down, and he goes, are you a Buckeye fan? I'm thinking, I'm like, how? And I remember I had my Buckeye hat on. I said, of course. He says, sir, I don't think I can let you fly on this plane. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'll play along. I said, okay, I'm, I'm assuming you're a Michigan fan because only Michigan people act like that. So uh, if it, we gave you a win last year, shouldn't I be able to fly on your plane? And before he could answer anything, I said, and, and by the way, there's, there's no other flights out tonight. I, I haven't been home for four or five days. I need to get home. He said, I'll let it slide this once. You can fly the plane, but not next time. Okay. I'm like, okay. So I go in my seat, and I, I'm in the third row, which, so I have a direct line into the cockpit. He comes, he comes out, and he's talking to the flight attendant, and he's, he's whispering to her, pointing at me. And I hear her say, duct tape? And I'm like, what is going on here? So then I'm like, okay, I'll give it back to him. So late, a little bit, few, just a few minutes later, he says, sorry, we're, we've got a delayed takeoff because we, not all of our bags are on the plane yet. So I called the flight attendant over. I says, hey, go tell him that a Buckeye would never let this happen. And so he does that. Well, then the good news is it ended well because in, I, I was flying Spirit Airlines, which is cheap rate stuff. Okay, you pay, you know, a dollar to use the bathroom, I think. But... Um, they come through the aisle with snacks, and I wasn't planning on getting anything because it's really expensive, and she goes, the pilot said you can have anything you want. So I got a Diet Coke and a cheese tray, 14 bucks. That was, it was worth the exchange. But uh, um, it, we, we tend to divide, don't we, nowadays? It's, it's my people. Like there's, we just live in a very, very divisive. Jesus wasn't that way. He just looked out and he just saw everyone has needs. He taught us, love God, vertical, love your neighbor, horizontal. They impact each other. And so I just remind you, just ask you this morning, do you love people? Do you see, do you have compassion on them? And, and maybe a better question, just as I finish up this last section here, this section here, um, is there room in your life to care for people? Because I don't know, that, that's my struggle. My life is so full that even if I see needs of people, I don't have room to meet those needs. Sometimes we're just too busy to care like we should. Jesus cared about meeting the needs of people. But let's keep going. Let's, in fact, let's reread verse 5 and then 6. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And I love this next phrase. I love it. He said, to the, he said this to test him for he himself knew what he would do. I, this is, I, as a dad, pastor, teacher, I love this stuff. Because here's what Jesus wanted to do. He wants the faith of his disciples to grow. So he sees an opportunity 
And he says, I'm going to test my disciples. I'm going to test their faith. In fact, what did Jesus say when he called the first disciples? Come follow me and I will what? Make you fishers of men. I'm going to develop you. I'm going to do something in your life so that you can join me on this journey. Make fishers. I'm going to train you. I'm going to show you how I want you to live. I'm going to teach you to be like me. Jesus wants our faith to grow as well in order for us to be like him. In fact, I hear me on this. I believe that he allows all kinds of life situations to happen so that our faith will be tested. He's testing Philip's faith. He's going to test yours. And I ask, are you passing the test? Are you getting an A, B, C, D, F? Is your faith growing? Jesus wants you to grow. Jesus wants to grow. In fact, that's why Pastor Mike talked last week about that discipleship pathway, uh, disciple-making pathway of how there's all kinds of, of different, even when the Gospels, there's unbelievers, then there's the curious, then there's the believer, then there's the disciple and the disciple-maker. Are, are, is Jesus moving you on that path? Which, by the way, I appreciated the connection that you made last week. My only pushback is I know that you, you tried with the S's, but you had five S's. You, if, if you had, if you start with S, you really should have had six S's. So um, you'll get there. You'll get there. So you could have done six or seven. Yeah, that would have been even better. But I, my expectations are fairly low, so um, you'll be okay. So um, a few weeks ago, I, uh, Sunday nights we try. It doesn't. We're not always faithful about this. But I try to kind of huddle up the family and say, okay, what did we do this last week? What are we doing this next week? And and I just, I kind of gave him a little mini sermon from the heart to say, kids, your faith is your own. You, you can't just piggyback on mom and dad's faith. Sophie, you're 10, you're, you're almost 11, Jake, Josh is 13, Jacob's 15. I'm like, you've you got to make your own decisions. When you get up and read your Bible, you're not reading it to just check off a box with mom and dad. You're going to have to develop that relationship of prayer and dependence. And, and that's what I think Jesus wants his disciples. Like, like I'm not going to be around. I'm going to test your faith. I'm going to leave you, and, and you're going to have to continue on the ministry. Jesus wants the faith of his disciples to grow. But watch what happens next. Philip answered him, 200 denarii, I think that's how you say it, worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Now, uh, a denarii was one day's wage. So this is 200 days. So maybe if you kind of calculate it out right, it's, it's almost a year's worth of salary. He's like, it's going to take a lot of money to feed these folks, okay? There's not enough at Walmart or Panera or like you pull all this stuff together. He's like, there's not enough. And then one of his disciples, Andrew, who is Simon Peter's brother, which I got to thinking, like, poor Andrew. Every time they mention Andrew, oh, yeah, it's, it's Simon Peter's brother. Can't he just stand on his own? Like, can't he just be kind of his, his own person? But John says, no, he's, he's Simon Peter's brother. And, and picture Andrew as he says this. I think he's telling a joke. I, this is a, my, my understanding of it. He's like, hey, there's a boy here who's got five barley loaves and two fish. Like, like sarcasm, sarcasm. He goes, but what are they for so many? Like, ha ha, we've got a little lunch here. We could maybe feed them with that. And Jesus says, okay, we'll do that. 
Jesus says, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Back then, they would have been, it would have been more of a, a man-centered society as far as the, the household number, which really means that there's probably about 20,000 people. It's a lot. This is, so, so picture the, where the calves play. Is it, is it the Quicken Loans Arena or is it a different name now? I don't even know. Can't keep track of all the, the um, what's it? Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, thank you, is, will seat 17,000. So 20,000, it's a lot of people. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, which is this is where we get the, you ever wonder why we stop and pray before our meals? It's, it's little um, uh, times like this where, okay, let's thank you for this, God. And then he distributed to them, to those who were seated. I thought that was funny, like, what if you were standing? Nope, nope, no, no food for you unless you sit down. So I, I don't know, it just says they were seated. And then so also the fish, as much as they wanted. This wasn't just a Costco sampler. Can I tell you what? It is, like, I'm, not, I'm, still, I'm, I'm more hungry coming out of Costco than when I went in because they're just giving you the little pieces. He's like, no, just keep eating, keep eating. This is like, you know, old country buffet or something like that. Just keep eating. Which, by the way, would have been barley loaves. And it says barley loaves, but the fish might have been, uh, they say, dried fish or maybe even pickled fish, but just passing them out, which, well, no, I'll get to that in a second, we'll, we'll, in a moment. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. That's a lot. Now, what just happened? It's another miracle. In fact, this is the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels. So obviously, the Gospel writers wanted us to know that Jesus did this. But what do we learn about Jesus? Remember when he turned water into wine? Remember when he, he heals people over and over again? This is what Jesus is doing. A lot with a little. Jesus is doing a lot with the little. And I think John wants us to see that because he's very descriptive. Five barley loaves and two fish become 12 baskets of leftovers. That's very detailed. Jesus is going to take something that isn't worth much and turn it into something that impacts a lot of lives. Feeds 20,000 people with a Lunchable. That's a lot. God can do that in our lives even today. He can do it through our lives, so He can do it in us, and then He can do it through us. I'm picturing the little boy, I don't know if it's Jesus or Andrew, where they, they kneel down and say, um, can I borrow your lunch for a few minutes? You'll have it back. In fact, I'll, I'll give you a little bit more, and you can just see the kid's big eyes, like, oh, okay, you know, and he passes it to him. Think of this. We all have a little, don't we? We all don't have much. Think that you've heard this, probably preachers use this before, your time, your talent, and your treasure. Think about what God can do with a little bit of your time in somebody else's life. What could he do with your little bit of talent to help somebody else. 
I'll tell you this story just because he's not here. I love Tom dearly, but he called me up last week and he says, trying to watch this new Christian show, but it won't stream on my TV. I got to have some what, Apple stick or something like that. I'm like, Fire Stick? Or Apple TV, like they're not the same thing, or a Roku. And he's like, yeah, one of those. I said, how do I get one of those? And I said, well, you order it on Amazon. Can you do that? He's like, yeah, I can do that. So he and Marilyn ordered the fire stick. So he and I, every Sunday morning, get on Zoom together at 7 and pray together. And so he reminded me this morning, he's like, my, my fire stick came in. I'm like, okay, try it out. I, I make my kids at least try it out. He goes, oh, no, 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 no. You're coming over and helping me, aren't you? So this week, I have to use my little bit of talent, go over and plug in his fire stick, get it all set up so that he can watch uh, this, this streaming show or something like that. That's just a little bit of time, but it's going to bless Tom and Marilyn. You can bless somebody else with your time, your talent, but also your treasure. Think about our generosity. Uh, I, I, we got a little... And oftentimes, God can take that little and impact many others' lives, and we don't even know how that impacts others' lives. So just think about that time, treasure, talent. Jesus does a lot with a little. Verse 14, when the people saw the sign pointing to Jesus that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet. Notice the capital P there, the prophet. It's a name who is to come into the world. Where do we get that terminology? Well, the Jews always were looking for the prophet, that little quiz here, you saw the trivia at the beginning of the screen, we'll do more trivia here. Where is this a reference to? Who promised that there was a prophet coming like him someday? Thank you. You get a free cup of coffee. So, um, Deuteronomy, that's right. 17, wow, you're really getting detailed there. Moses said, someday there's a prophet coming like me. Well, the people are like, oh, it's here. He's, he's here. Now, what I want you to see is the contrast. So the, the people saw Jesus did the sign, and what was their response? They're like, he's here. How is that different than the Pharisees in chapter 5? Jesus comes and, and heals the guy, and then they start to have the guy. Like, they, like, they rejected the Messiah, the people are accepting it. I think John wants us to see that contrast. Because what, are the, what do they do here? Perceiving then, the, this acceptance creates a problem. Because perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. That's just fascinating to me. Why do they want a king? They want a king because they're in, they're in bondage to Rome. They're like, we're waiting for this guy to come rescue us. The king, I don't know about you, but 20,000 people <laughs> coming to make me king, that, that, that is a little scary to, to do 20,000 people coming at me for any reason. Jesus just sneaks away. You wonder how he sneaks away, but I don't know. Well, in fact, you'll see something here in a minute that there's a little bit of miraculous stuff happening. But uh, why did Jesus go to the mountain by himself? Because he does not get distracted, does not want to get distracted from his mission. He was focused on the purpose that God had for him. Why had he come? To proclaim the good news of the kingdom. His job was to come and say, hey everybody, the kingdom is now available to you through me. I'm the Messiah. But as he's sharing that, he knows that he has to die. 
He knows that he's going to pay the penalty and there's a sacri- he's going to be the sacrifice. He's going to pay for the sins of the whole world. And I think this is a, a good reminder for us in, in just a small little way compared to him to be focused on the mission that God has for us and to not get distracted from that mission. What did Jesus tell us over in the Sermon on the Mount? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I believe, my brothers and sisters, this is the filter through which we determine everything we do. Wrestle with this for a moment. Our family life and our relationships, kids, husbands, wives, our careers, our hobbies, our entertainment, our relationships, our money. Are we, through those activities, are we seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? I think it's possible, but sometimes that is a mental shift for us. It's a spiritual shift where we think, okay, my mission isn't just to raise my kids. My mission is to raise my kids to be a part of the kingdom. My relationship with my spouse needs to be about seeking the kingdom and his righteousness. My career, whether it's teaching auto mechanics or scales or police or nurse, or seeking first the kingdom through that vocation. Satan comes along and, and he can distract us and he can use just everyday life, he can use sin, he can use suffering, and it can distract us from that mission of seeking first the kingdom. In fact, I, I think the most dangerous thing is when he takes something good and says, let's elevate that so that that becomes the mission, not the kingdom. A good relationship, a good job, a good hobby, a good opportunity, and no longer are we thinking, how can I glorify God and seek his kingdom first? Jesus lived with incredible intentionality, and I believe we should as well. All right, one last little section here when we're done. Verse 16. So when evening came, now remember, Jesus isn't with his disciples. He's off by himself. We're going to assume praying, spending time with the Lord. You know, he's not watching Netflix. He's, you know, he's hanging out with God. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. They got into a boat, and they started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because of a strong wind was blowing when they had rowed for about three or four miles. By the way, it's a, the, the Sea of Galilee is about uh, seven miles wide and 11 miles long. And so they're, they're rowing about three or four miles. They saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Now, commentaries will, will argue over, were they afraid because of the sea, or they were afraid because they saw Jesus walking on the water? Probably both. I would be freaked out as well, but what is Jesus' response? It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were, what's the word there? Glad. Okay, not fear, but joy. And they were glad to take him into the boat. And I like this. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Star Trek. I mean, just, that's the way I read it. So what can we learn from this? Two more reminders about Jesus. They come from these verses here. One, Jesus demonstrates his power over the natural world. 
We've seen this over and over again. We're going to keep seeing as we walk through John. Think about it. He created it. Why can't he play with it? A miracle here, miracle there. Need some wine? Here you go. Need some strength in your legs? Here you go. Need some food? Here you go. You need to see? Here you go. You need to live? Here, we'll get to the story of Lazarus in a little bit. I sure hope you're on team Jesus with me here. What I mean by that is that we believe that he did the supernatural and that he still does the supernatural today. We believe that. We celebrate that. In fact, if you're struggling with that, let's talk about it because that, that is one of the ways that the enemy tries to convince the world, hey, I can't believe in that miracle crap. You know, that's just, and, and if you don't, you better just throw the whole Bible out because it's all about miracles from the beginning to the end, the supernatural. So I hope you're on Team Jesus with me, okay? In fact, that's why we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Sometimes that is supernatural. But let's take it a step further and finish where we started. So let's, I'm gonna, we, you can see in your notes that we switched this last principle around. And let's start with us rather than Jesus for the statement, and that is this. We don't need to be afraid in the presence of Jesus. We don't need to be afraid in the presence of Jesus. And Lord, just laid on my heart to share this with you. There's three things that we don't need to be afraid of. One, we don't need to be afraid of Jesus himself. Okay? What does Jesus say in Matthew 11? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. <laughs> That's most of us, isn't it, in some way? You come in here with heavy stuff on your hearts. Say, come to me. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Remember the yoke is that, that big wooden thing they'd put on the oxen's shoulders and, and they would pull the plow together. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and what? Learn from me. What he's saying is, I'll do it with you. This is a picture. Jesus is saying, I'm gonna be the older, mature ox and you get to be the, the younger ox and you don't know what you're doing. So how about, okay, take it on with me and we'll pull together. You learn from me at the pace that we're supposed to do this. And you know, guess what? I'll do the heavy lifting because I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Remember the people, uh, they were under the burden of not just Rome, they were under the spiritual burden of the Pharisees. And they're like, we can't do anymore. Like I'm all these rules and, and the, the legalism, I can't handle it. And Jesus is like, no, 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 let, let me help you with it. For, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Don't be afraid of Jesus. Number two, don't be afraid of circumstances because Jesus is there with us. Uh, Jesus said, I'm gonna be with you to the end of the age. And as believers, we know we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And we know that, that God the Father is omnipresent, so he's with us as well. So we're always in the presence of God. We don't need to fear. We, we just don't need to fear. But let me finish with a real practical piece here. The third thing we don't need to be afraid of is people. If you're in the presence of Jesus, you don't need to be afraid of people. We, we find our identity in him not in people. Ed Welch wrote a book called When People Are Big and God is Small. That's a big problem that we all struggle with. We, we elevate what people think about us 
way more than what we think Jesus thinks about us. And our temptation is to live our lives way too concerned about what other people think. I'll give you an example of that. I, I can tell you the first service. I won't tell you this, the, the second service this, but my son Elijah just got back into town. And uh, he's going to be home for a little while, and he's, gonna, he's moving to Florida. But he brought his girlfriend with us, with him. And so uh, he also brought a broken foot with him. On uh, Wednesday night before they're supposed to leave, he jumps on a skateboard and breaks his foot. So we've got an orthopedic associate's appointment tomorrow. But anyway, um, mom and dad, okay, are, we've met Abby before. But Abby's come into the house. We're people pleasers too. What does that mean? The house has got to be clean. So we're shampooing carpets, and we're like, like so uh, I went upstairs last night because Amanda and I had to go to a party at the neighbor's house two doors down, and uh, I come downstairs while Amanda's getting her costume on, and I come downstairs, and every candle in the house is lit, every scentsy is on, it's just, you walk in, it's like a magazine in our living room, and I'm like, oh, Abby's coming, you know. Because we, we want to impress Abby. Like, that's just this natural. Now, sometimes you can take it too far. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to do that. But um, we, we try to impress people, don't we? In fact, I, I have to laugh because sometimes <laughs> some of you is like, you have to impress the pastor. It's, just, it's really kind of funny because there's, there's conversations they have, and I could just tell when they're trying to impress me. But here's my favorite it, it's when they accidentally swear. Oh, oh, sorry, pastor. I, I didn't mean to say that. I'm like, it's okay. I'm, at, I'm actually kind of complimented that we've got a good enough relationship that you can swear in front of me. So I'm, I'm trying to get Cam to stop. I mean, he's just taking it, he's just taking it too far. But um, the reality is we're, we're, we're all in this together. Like there's, uh, my identity is not found in what you think of me. My, and, and, and your identity shouldn't be in what I think of you and our identity shouldn't be in what we think of each other. Because it matters what Jesus thinks. And, and Jesus loved us so much that he paid your sin, paid the penalty for your sins and my sins so that we can say, okay, Jesus, that's where the grace is. And then we can just relate to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And there's a beautiful picture behind that. We don't need to fear people. We don't need to fear circumstances. We don't need to fear Jesus. Instead, we need to show gratitude. So as we close this morning, the worship team wants to come up. We're going to sing one more song. But let's gather at the table this morning. We'll have some chili later on, but, but, but let's, have, um, let's have some Jesus. Let's be reminded of what he did for us and, and to thank him. If you've professed faith in Jesus Christ, if you've committed to being his disciple, I invite you to the table this morning. Let me say a prayer. You can come and receive the elements. We'll stand and uh, share them together and then we'll sing together. Father, thank you for these couple of simple stories. But may we not miss the point of them. These are the ones we read to our kids and uh, we, it's fun to tell the stories of Jesus feeding the 5,000 and Jesus walking on water. But God, may we not miss the point that Jesus is the point of the story. where we sin, there's even more mercy. And we say thank you the fact that Jesus was focused on his mission, died on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's in his name we pray, amen.